Everyone has a story. I get them to tell it. Welcome to the Aaron Bender Podcast, conversations with media personalities about their personal and professional lives and journeys. Really appreciate your support, whether you're watching on YouTube or nightly at 11 p.m. Pacific or 2 a.m. Eastern on DBNA TV at dbnatelevision.tv or streaming with the DBNA TV app on Amazon Fire, Roku, and Apple TV or listening on your favorite platform. Before we get to my conversation with Natalie Brunel, a little about my story. I'm a widowed dad of two girls who just lost their mom, a grieving husband, a man in recovery trying to reconnect with the world with fresh eyes, faith, and perspective, a college journalism professor, a white guy in a world of injustice, a 20-year broadcast media veteran who had his dream job and then lost it. A year and a half ago, God gave me a gift, an opportunity to stop, step back, and breathe so I could learn about love, vulnerability, forgiveness, grace, self-care, patience, and understanding. Natalie Brunel is a reporter at Spectrum News One SoCal. She's worked in Palm Springs and Sacramento, as well as for ABC News. A couple of years ago, she entered the podcast space with career stories and recently made a big splash, especially in the business podcast arena with coin stories. Let's reference right off the bat the fact that you're actually calling in from Bitcoin Beach. And this was not planned at all, but check out the shirt I chose to wear today. Palm yeah, trees. Yeah. You're matching my palm tree energy. We've got <laughs> PTE. It's all about the PTE. So uh, you, you actually just got back from Miami. I don't know if it was the first ever Bitcoin conference or the first one in Miami or the idea that it's actually now one as the pandemic is lifting. But how was that? And we're going to get into why all of a sudden you're going to a Bitcoin conference in Miami in a bit as we talk about coin stories, which I referenced in the intro, but how was Miami and this Bitcoin conference? Oh, the Bitcoin conference was fantastic. They've actually been going on for, for years. Um, I think they've been going on for about a decade and they've been growing every single year. And this one was the biggest yet. I, I believe there were more than 12,000 attendees. Uh, it was held in Miami, which is kind of becoming a Bitcoin hub or Mecca. Uh, it's very welcoming to that side of the, the technology industry and the mayor's pro Bitcoin. I believe that he plans to put some on the balance sheet and some people are planning to get paid in Bitcoin potentially. Um, so the conference was just great. I mean, the headline speakers, the panelists were phenomenal and so interesting. They come from a range of different backgrounds, many of them having been, you know, former investment bankers or hedge fund managers or have some really fascinating technology background, like but you know, the Winklevoss brothers who helped start Facebook. Um, and it was just nice to be in a, a place with just like-minded people who are really excited about this technology and want to understand it better, want to understand some of the FUD that we've been seeing, fear, uncertainty, doubt lately that's taken. Oh, oh hold on. I, I love how you threw that out there and then defined it because I had no idea what you were talking about. The FUD? Yeah, FUD, FUD, um, FUDsters, the fear, uncertainty, doubt crowd that's been bringing the price down. So, um, you know, yeah, we, we were discussing all that and sort of the market volatility. And then there were just so many great speakers that have all these philosophical views of how society can really be better um, because of Bitcoin. Like my favorite panel was called The Case for Morality and Bitcoin. And it was all about how Bitcoin sort of brings out the best in humanity and the best in sort of our ability to work together. And that is lofty. That is lofty. <laughs> bringing out the best in humanity. 
Yes, that's what we talked about. We stayed Kumbaya in Miami. <laughs> now, I, I just got into the cryptocurrency about a month ago, and I think I, I messaged you about the time that I did that. I got I, I purchased two Ethereum, all wow. two of them, because my brother, my brother-in-law on a Sunday morning came running downstairs and was like, dude, dude, open up Robinhood, open up. And I'm like, I don't have Robinhood. What am I supposed to do? And so he walked me through that process, and I bought a couple of Ethereum. And within 24 hours, the price had gone up enough that I sold my uh, I, I sold those to Ethereum uh, to get back. What did I own? Oh, no, I bought two and a half Ethereum. I'm sorry, two and a half Ethereum. And then next thing you know, I'm selling two Ethereum for the price that I paid for two and a half. Oh, and, wow. and so now I'm just, I, I just open up the Robinhood app every now and then I'll do that right now. And yeah, I'm, I'm up like $1,300 for the half that I have left. And I wow. just, I just let it sit there. Just let it ride. You know, I, I, I got in, I got out what I put in and now yeah. it's just kind of, it, it's, it's house money. Yeah. Just yeah, at that point, it's, it's house money. How did you get into it? Did your brother-in-law come running downstairs and tell you? <laughs> How did how did you get into it? And then we'll talk about coin stories because you're not just getting into it for yourself, but you're also trying to uh, teach other people and shine the spotlight on people in the cryptocurrency market. But how did you get into it to begin with? Sure. So um, it was back in 2017 when I first bought Bitcoin. Um, I was working up in Sacramento at a local news station. And um, I had a, a boyfriend whose friends were very involved in Silicon Valley and in the tech world. One of them actually worked for Coinbase. And so I remember hanging out with, the, with them and someone brought up Bitcoin. And I said, what's Bitcoin? And they said, right. it's digital currency, it's digital money. And I believe, you know, what a lot of Bitcoiners say, it's the future was maybe thrown out. And um, I just became kind of curious about it. I was curious what it was. And, you know, I mean, I think all of us can think about Silicon Valley and some of the amazing tech companies that were started in San Francisco in the last decade. And, you know, they might've started very small and some of them have ended up changing our lives, whether it's Facebook or Uber. So I definitely felt like, people in that space who you know went to college and and did tech and programming and developing um they maybe sometimes know what they're talking about and they're ahead of the curve on a curve on something so i just thought wow okay what is bitcoin i'm going to look into it um i didn't go down the rabbit hole though the you know the infamous rabbit hole of bitcoin i just kind of learned a little bit and enough to spark my interest. And I saw that it had appreciated so much. It used to be worth a dollar. <laughs> it was like a couple thousand by the point I, I learned about it. So I thought, you know what, if this does have legs, this might be something. So I purchased a little bit of Bitcoin back then. And I ended up even pitching a story about it for my local affiliate. So I did a story about like a local ATM at a Sacramento suburb mall that, you know, sold Bitcoin <laughs> and you could buy Bitcoin there. And I remember my newsroom thought I was probably crazy. They're like, this is not a thing. We can't be sending viewers down this path. And I'm like, but it's, you know, it's, it exists and people do believe in it. So let's explore it. Um, and it wasn't until, to be honest with you, the market really crashed that I decided to really study Bitcoin, like really get into it and see why some people believe that this could be the solution to sort of the 
the money trouble that we're in as a country. Um, and I read a book called The Bitcoin Standard. Uh, I ended up reading it three times. It, I actually have it right here. Um, people <laughs> that are interested in Bitcoin, this is like the Bible. This is like the best book that's ever been written. Um, every Bitcoiner knows it. It's by an economist by the name of Saifedean Amus, who I had the pleasure of meeting in Miami. Oh, wow, and, nice. Um, and the reason I was interested is because I wanted to understand money and I wanted to understand markets and I wanted to understand money printing because we saw an unprecedented amount of money printing as a response to the pandemic. We were essentially in a wartime um, when, it, when it came to a government response, but I didn't, I didn't understand what all of that truly meant. And so I really began to study economics. Uh, I don't have an economics background, but I was <laughs> fascinated by it. I was going to say, because we, we've talked before, we talked for my podcast a couple of years ago, there was no mention of any kind of business or economics or anything like that. I so, know. And, and we're, we're, I think a lot of time people in business get into journalism to write about business. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of journalists go the other way where it's like, Oh, I told I'm, I'm all in on business right now because yeah. a lot of journalists, we just don't, we just don't think that way. You know, it's just not how our brains work. No, you're right. And I, now I look back and I so wish that I had taken more economics classes or learned a little bit more about finance and how the stock market works and how to, how to invest. Because now that I'm actually making money, I'm way more interested, right? And like turning that money into more money and saving my money and making sure that the money disappear, doesn't disappear that I do have. Um, but yeah, I really went down that, that rabbit hole and I became really empowered by what I learned about Bitcoin. And um, coming from an immigrant family where savings has always been really important, the idea of like hard work and saving for the future um, and the desire to not have your money in the bank just erode in value is really important to me and really resonates with me and what my family has gone through. So Bitcoin just, I just became more and more interested in it. And, um, and that's what caused me to want to start a podcast about it. I wanted to understand the space better and what better way to understand it than the people who kind of make up the space and are the leading voices in it. So I started to interview them. So when you go to your newsroom in 2017, your assignment editors, your bosses and say, I want to do this thing on Bitcoin. And they're like, okay, explain it to me in 30 seconds. You still have to do that in 2021 for many, many people, probably myself included. So yeah. what's your 30 second explanation of what Bitcoin is and how did this immigrant family that you are, you know, born of, how did they take it? Because you're trying to explain it to them too. Like, Hey, I've got this new podcast called coin stories. It's about Bitcoin. And they're like, what? So what's your 30 second explanation? Well, it's funny you say that first of all, because my, my mom, ever since we immigrated here has really primarily worked in the banking sectors. <laughs> um, but, um, and the other funny thing is in 2017, my newsroom looked at me with like, you know, a side eye when I yep. talked about Bitcoin, and that's still the case today. Yeah, I was, did you expect in 2017 to then fast forward four years? I don't think you could have imagined because you didn't even start career stories, the podcast, uh, for yeah. a couple of years, but I don't <laughs> think you could have imagined four years later, you'd still be explaining it like this. No, and I, I had no idea what the price would be. And I had no, well, obviously we couldn't predict a pandemic that would cause the, the economic shift right. that we're seeing right now. But yeah, it's really funny to think about what has and hasn't changed since 2017. But 
Um, just as far as explaining Bitcoin in simplest terms, it is digital cash. It was created as a peer-to-peer -peer cash network that has absolutely no third party. It's not controlled by any government or authority. It's completely decentralized. And it's backed up by a network of thousands of computers around the world that are maintaining essentially this public ledger. And that public ledger is the blockchain of transactions that are happening all across the world. And it's basically a way to have money that's not controlled by any authority. It's controlled by you. You have the control over your money. And um, it's seen by many Bitcoin believers as a store of value that will appreciate in value even more than something like gold, which has you know, historically been seen as very strong store of value. So you can transact in it, but a lot of people just want to hold it because they believe that it's going to be worth a lot in the future. All right. I don't know if that was 30 seconds. I didn't, I, I didn't look at the clock. I should have looked at the clock to see if that fit into 30 seconds. But when I go back and I try to put this on Instagram reels, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to time you. I'm, I'll, I'll see if I can even put a timer on it. Probably not. Cause I'm not that fancy, but, um, uh, it's one thing, though, to get into it. It's another to then decide, okay, I want to start a podcast about it because it's the podcast I do, it's, it's easy, honestly, because I just have conversations with people about their lives, about their journeys. I hear what they've said, and then I, I kind of go from there. I respond, and, and I don't necessarily need expertise, Sure. on whatever they are doing. You, on the other hand, I would imagine you need a lot more than just, hey, so um, why'd you get into Bitcoin, man? You know, <laughs> and then I'll just listen to your answers and then I'll just, you you need some expertise. You need some, did you have to, did you, do you feel like you had to kind of bone up to be able to do this podcast? Or do you feel like you were at a point where you're like, you know what? I am ready to to take this to the next level and go podcast with it? I definitely had to really study it. And had I not studied it, I probably wouldn't have wanted to start a podcast about it. Like I said, that book, Bitcoin Standard, I read it three times. And one of, you know, I read it three times because A, I did really like it. And there were so many things that resonated. But I also read it three times because it's really complicated and it's hard to understand some of these economic principles if you don't have a finance background. So for me, it was really trying to cement all of that in my head so that I can get to a place where I can speak about it and converse about it in a way that's not too too dense. Um, and, and I just really wanted to better understand the people in this space who I really looked up to and admired. I mean, the people who are the loudest leading voices, a lot of them have really strong finance or tech backgrounds. A lot of them ran successful investment firms uh, and still do, or former hedge fund managers. Some of them predicted the great financial crisis of 2008, 2009. So I wanted to better you know, get to know them and why they believe in this and understand their philosophy behind it and how it could kind of change our economic system and return sort of um, financial sovereignty to people. Because for me, the thing that gets me angry and makes me, you know, really passionate is this income inequality that we see constantly. This, this idea that the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, the system feels kind of rigged. And if you don't know the right people, or if you don't have the right kind of job, it's just so hard to make it. And it's harder every single year. Um, and I don't think that it should be that that way, especially in a country like America that stands for these values of hard work and being able to climb the social ladder if you work hard and you're a good person, you know. So um, 
So yeah, I was really interested in the space. I really studied it. I studied all the people. Um, the people I've been interviewing are, you know, in the finance world, but now because of Bitcoin, they're also writing books on Bitcoin or they're blogging about it or they have podcasts or shows. So I just devoured all of that information as much as I could in my free time. Um, I would spend literally my weekends and six o'clock in the morning, I'd be reading articles about economics and all that. So it's been a really fun last couple of months and now being a part of that space and being kind of one of the first women that doesn't have a finance background that's venturing in is, is really fun as well, because I think the message needs to be simplified and it needs to get out to more people so that they can make the decision for themselves. But people should really understand that this exists and um, understand the philosophy behind it. And it'd be cool to have more chicks in it because the Bitcoin conference is definitely male dominated. <laughs> how, how was that for you navigating that? Um, you know, it was different. I kind of expect, I did expect it to be more men than women, but I sort of expected that, you know, because I'm a girl, I'm curious, I tend to be bubbly and happy and like, I want to learn about it. And I'm pretty friendly because of my journalism background. I thought that it would be pretty easy to just like meet new people, make new friends. And it was so funny that it was a little bit, it still felt a little bit closed off. Um, and the guys that are very popular in this space, they're treated like celebrities. Like I would be hanging out with some of the people I interviewed on the podcast and men would be coming up very shy and awkward, like, <clears throat> hey, um, can I take a photo with you, Pomp? Uh, you know, <laughs> Anthony Pompliano is one of like the biggest people in the space. They'd be like, uh, <clears throat> can, can we do a, can we do a selfie, please? And he'd be like, yeah, sure, come on. But it was like he was George Clooney. It was like he was this famous, <laughs> like, the, and they couldn't care less who I was. You know, they're handing you the phone Pomp. to take the picture. Exactly, a girl in this place who cares, but Pomp's here. I got to take a picture with Pomp. <laughs> um, so that was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it definitely, I, I wish there were more women in this space because then then it would be a little bit more fun for sure. You talked about uh, your immigrant family, what they had to go through. What are some things that come to mind when you think about what they had to go through and how it shaped your view of the world and your path? Yeah. So, I mean, I could obviously talk for a while about this, but to summarize, my family is from Poland. Um, my parents grew up in a communist country. I remember hearing stories, especially when I was younger, of you know, a time when they would have to line up for things like bread um, and things, just the cost of things. And it was so hard to imagine a better life. And there was really no concept of, you know, this social mobility, the way that it, it exists or has existed in the United States. And so my family always wanted to come here. It was like my mom's dream to have her family here and to achieve the American dream. And it was never, uh, it was never like to become a Jeff Bezos, you know, or to become like, to have a yacht. It was literally to have a nice house, to have your kids go to a good school, to have enough money for a nice vacation and just, you know, to work hard and be able to retire. It was pretty simple. It was like middle-class was the dream. And so um, we came here, we, my family waited about 20 years to come here legally. And um, they started from scratch. My mom was in her late thirties. My dad was in his early forties. I know we've talked about a little bit of this on on our last podcast, but um, it was hard. It was hard. It's hard to start over in a new country. Um, and they worked their way up and were finally able. We were, I remember when I was little and we were finally able to buy a townhouse. We could afford a loan for a townhouse. 
Um, and you know, all my other friends lived in an actual house. I was just excited about a townhouse. I always had neighbors either above me, below me side, like I've always had neighbors. Um, and, and then they lost everything in the financial crisis. They had just, just made it only to just lose it essentially. Um, and I just, rem- I didn't really understand at the time because I was in college, but you know, the system, like some people knew, some people knew what was going to happen. And the average person just got screwed. And my family was the average family that worked hard, that had a loan. And all of a sudden it was like the rug was pulled out from under them. And so, you know, that just made me really aware that things can change at any moment. Like your situation is very precarious, even when things seem to be going well. And, um, and that's scary. It's always like money has always been a stress for me. Like, I just, I feel like, you know, I need to make more. I never have enough. It's so scary to save school's so expensive. Houses are more and more expensive. And it's so sad, right? That like, I mean, I went, I went to school, I did all the right things. And yet the idea of buying a house, especially in a city like LA is so like impossible to me. Like, how do you afford that? Um, and so that's really what informed sort of, I think, the the mental, um, the place I was at mentally in order to want to learn more about economics, especially when the market tanked in the pandemic. And I just, I knew that we were on the precipice of a, a change. Like we weren't going to go back to a pre-COVID world. And, um, and I wanted to understand it better so that I can make some decisions about my financial future. So, and, and Bitcoin really, it... It brings you hope. It really does. <laughs> well, well, again, it brings out the best in humanity, right? It does. It does. Well, and and you mentioned that your curiosity has really just kind of driven a lot of it. Have you always been curious, like from you know childhood on, or was there something that happened or an event, maybe the financial crisis that? you know, drained your family of, of everything it had worked for. Was there one thing or a series of things that sparked the curiosity? Yeah. So that's a great question. And now of all times, I do have an answer for it. I, I was always curious, which is why I think journalism was a great career path for me. But I think I was curious about things like politics and, you know, um, just how certain laws were passed. And I think I was curious about the wrong thing. And what I should have been curious about is really our monetary system and economics and how decisions are made and how our money supply is created and expanded. Because I was looking at the problems and examining them and wanting to explore them. And And I didn't have that extra context of, oh, by the way, our monetary supply is being inflated constantly. Our money's being devalued. The money that I put in the bank with that tiny interest rate, you know, (laughs) it's being eroded in how much I can actually, what purchasing power it actually has. And so I feel almost like like this veil has been lifted. And I feel like I I really, again, I wish I had learned about our... um, about macroeconomics and, and just finance in general when I was younger, because now I get it. And now some of the things that I've looked at, whether it's, you know, reporting on homelessness or reporting on healthcare, it's like now I see it through a very different lens of how, um, how certain decisions have been made under our monetary system. And now all of a sudden I, 
I question some more things that I'm used to never question. So I would say that I've always been curious and I've always asked questions. I was always interested in like politics and news in general and corruption was always a passion of mine to expose, but I never looked at it with that extra lens. And now I, I think I, I, I think I'm better for it. For yeah, I was sure. going to ask, like, how has it changed you as a journalist? I mean, you've, you've been in the news business several years now, mm-hmm. uh, cub reporter in Sacramento or otherwise to now, how has that changed and, and shaped you? Well, I think it's really made me think about what money, throwing money at a problem does. It really doesn't fix the problem. That's what is really, I think, kind of showcased, at least for, you know, reporting in California, you could probably imagine one of the big things is obviously reporting on things like homelessness. You see these issues where it's like, we're literally throwing money at the problem. We're spending more and more billions every single year that that almost seem like they're coming from, from thin air, yet the problem continues to get worse and worse. It's not getting better. So, so there's a, there's an issue there, right? So how can we fix it? without necessarily just inflating our our money supply like this and and that's what really scares me it's like i never used to look at used to never think about inflation but yet at the same time even before the pandemic every single year our money is not worth as much as it was the year before and if you look at the like cpi calculator the bureau of labor statistics has this calculator that i sometimes have calculated before like what's the equivalent of 100 us dollars today versus 1980 versus 1980 I mean, it's shockingly scary. And the price of college when I was at Pepperdine, how much it costs versus, you know, today. Um, it's just scary how everything is getting more expensive, but the average person is not making more money. The richy rich people, the billionaires are making a lot more money, but we're not. Um, and so I think it's really, that's what it's, that's how it's, I think, changed me as a journalist is it's causing me to look at the money more. Like, where is it, where's it coming from? Where is it going? And is it really changing the situation it's supposed to fix? Now, you've had Career Stories, that podcast, for a few years now. You uh, now have Coin Stories. I actually, I thought you were putting Career Stories kind of on the back burner. And then all of a sudden this week, boom, hello, new episode. So uh, how how are you juggling that? And uh, let's also congratulate you because I think you got to, was it 22? Was like your highest ranking on the the Apple charts and, and other things like you you were just killing in in the with the coin stories just that meteoric rise like uh what within a week all of a sudden you're you're near the tops of the charts so congratulations Thank you. Well, the Bitcoin community is so supportive. Like I put it out there and I'm a newbie and they were like, whoa, let's retweet this girl. So uh, no, I really appreciate that people downloaded. In fact, I was actually surprised how much it really resonated with people. Um, I assumed that it was actually going to be uh, muddy waters because I'm, I'm new to the space. I don't have a finance background, but yeah, I released some of the episodes with these really big guests and people really ran to it and really enjoyed it. And I think the the new thing that I offer that people hadn't seen before is really the origin stories, which comes from career stories. Like I just love hearing who people are, where they started, how they came to be where they are, how they succeeded, what obstacles did they run into? I'm just so inspired by origin stories of success. Uh, so that's kind of, it's, it's a mix of um, career stories and that sort of idea of 
who a person is and where they come from, uh, and then plus their philosophy on Bitcoin, why they believe in it. And so, yeah, it shot up in the charts very, very quickly. Um, and I had I had more downloads in two weeks on Coin Stories almost than I had in three years of career stories, which is like. Oh, and I've been I've been in career stories for three years. <laughs> well, and and it, with, without career stories, there is no coin stories. That was kind of your your internship, if you will, uh, to to now. Okay, coin stories. Here we go. How are you juggling it with uh, reporting at Spectrum News One SoCal? Yeah, so it's just about making uh, it's just time management, making time on the side. So um, I definitely am now a very early riser. I get up between five or six o'clock in the morning, and I'll do a lot of work either before my shift or after my shift or on weekends. Like I, it's something that I do need to. Um, I need to. I need to take more time off because <laughs> it lowers your immune system when you work too much. But um, yeah, I need to. Um, I need to figure out a way to say no to something because I also teach at USC. And so I, I, I'm finding myself often working like 60 hours a week, if not more. Um, and I work on weekends and so I need to be better about that, but I'm really passionate about this. Like I, I love my reporting job because I get to do really great stories for a channel that believes in human interest and community driven storytelling and finding really interesting characters. And in fact, I've done several Bitcoin stories for them and looked, you know, examined it from the angles for against. Um, But I'm also super passionate about the, you know, the format of a podcast that's so much you know, it's free flowing. There's no time limit. I get to learn about all these really interesting people. And then I also love teaching. So it's like, I don't know, I, I need more days in the week. For well, sure. More days of the week, but also just the idea that taking 15 minutes for yourself, 30 minutes for yourself to just do nothing, no phone, no computer, sit yeah. outside and just get some sun and, and just reminding yourself that a broken you is no good to anybody. Yes, I, I meditate that I'm on Bitcoin Beach and I think about the, you know, cool ocean breeze and I think about my Bitcoin, each one becoming worth a million dollars and I myself again. Yeah, if only we could just meditate it. Just just meditate that price right up, please. Yes. But you know what? I got to tell you, like, coming back from Miami, I don't know if you heard about the Twitter space with the president of El Salvador. Uh, yes. Yes. It's like the most fun I've ever had on social media. Um, it started randomly. There was no notice or anything, but I'm, I'm very on, you know, much on Twitter and following the people in the space. And El Salvador was about to be voting to make Bitcoin legal tender in the country. And one of the leading voices in Bitcoin, uh, who I hope will be on my podcast, his name is Nick Carter. He was also at the conference and I got a chance to meet him. He was just bored cooking dinner at night. And he goes, I want to start a Twitter space, which is kind of like like clubhouse, like a live podcast. I want to start it about this El Salvador decision. And he brought in some of the big Bitcoiners and they got the president of the country to join just before his Congress was like voting on legalizing Bitcoin. And he, they're just riffing and he's answering questions. He's allowing like other people to, you know, send in questions about how it's going to work, how it's going to function, how they're going to mine Bitcoin. He said, there's going to be volcano energy, you know, mining Bitcoin. <laughs> And BVE. Just, yeah, 
and we're just having this like live Twitter conversation with the president of a nation spontaneously. And he's so down to earth answering all these questions. And then they did the live vote. Like we could hear it and then we could hear all the claps and like they legalized Bitcoin while we're sitting there with the president on Twitter. And then I tweeted like something like, you know, is this what it's like to have a millennial president? You know, and I, at, I, I sent at um, the president and he retweeted me. <laughs> like, I just thought this is so cool. Like this, yeah. If this is the future, this is really cool. <laughs> yeah, and, and just the idea of, of the world getting that much smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and people coming together. I mean, it was truly, we talk about democracy and how social media has democratized things, but you're, you're getting to ask questions from the president of a country and, and it, he's in real time changing his monetary policy for the country. And you, you hear a roar of applause because it just passed with like a super majority vote. It was like, wow, this is fascinating. This is a really interesting time to be alive. <laughs> when is when is the president of El Salvador going to be on Coin Stories? That's what I want to uh, know. Me too. Uh, <laughs> this is an official request. I have sent him a Twitter, a Twitter DM or two. So uh, that would be great. Actually, one of the other podcast hosts, he hosts like one of the most popular podcasts on Bitcoin. It's called What Bitcoin Did, Peter McCormick. He just sat down with the president. Um, so it can happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not it's, it's not out of the question. At least you know that the president is open to it. And, and hopefully you can go through that door. Step one, retweet. Step two, coin story. <laughs> Natalie, thank you so much for this. Really, really appreciate it. You don't need my pat on the back or anything like that, but I'm super proud of you. I'm super proud to, to know you and be your friend and watch how you've grown these last few years and, and just exploded in this space. So congratulations. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You can watch this episode on YouTube and DBNA TV. Follow the Aaron Bender podcast on your favorite platforms and link to it at AaronBender.com. That's also where you can find all of my social media. If you have guest ideas or comments, email me, AaronBenderMedia at gmail.com. Be well, and thanks for listening.